Well, we found out that some people do a lot of running and that some people have been running already today. But I wonder if we wanted to know how tidy your house is. <laughs> now, I, I confess here that um, the vicarage is normally pretty tidy, um, but uh, this week my wife had to go away for a couple of days, and so not so much. And in fact, as she sort of came back last night, and there were all sorts of things around the house, where, oh, uh, and I'm like wondering, oh, I didn't get that done, and I forgot to do that, and I thought I'd been pretty comprehensive. There were, there were post-its everywhere. There was a post-it on the front door to remember this, there was a post-it by the cat bowl to remember this, and even so, there were just a couple of things that I forgot to do. I'm not going to tell you what they were, but I'm just going to say that it wasn't as we expected. I was, it wasn't as good as I'd hoped it to be. But there we are. You know, sometimes you can't, you can't leave things as you want. And I wonder also if you enjoy uh, crime dramas. And I wonder if you enjoy uh, things like Death in Paradise. I, I have to say, my brother said he was disappointed in me that I watched it, but... But I enjoy it. It's really good. And within those, and in those TV series, there's always a crime. There's always a mystery to solve. And nearly always the mystery is how did it happen? And the best episodes of Death in Paradise are where the victim is in a room and nobody else could have got in or out. Those are the best ones, aren't they? Who's watched those? Oh, surprise. I'm going to tell my brother that it's okay. So those are the sorts of things that really sort of get you thinking, aren't they? And you might be the sort of person who can sort of work these things out. But then if you're that sort of person, you're the sort of person who doesn't need post-it notes around the house to remember to do things. But when John and Peter are called to the tomb by Mary, what they find is, is just quite incredible, isn't it? We have this amazing picture that John's recorded about what's happened Incidents like this, death in paradise, has to gather evidence, doesn't it? It has to collect ideas. It has to pull together who was where and what were they doing and, and what was where and, and who moved it and all of that sort of stuff. Solving crimes requires you to analyse evidence. And while we haven't got what we would call sort of that traditional sort of scientific proof, we have got the written record... We've got the written records of the people who were there at the time. And they've written those down within a reasonable space of time. They're theologically and historically reliable to us. And what we're trying to sort of look at is what happened. Because everybody attested that Jesus had died. Jesus had died on what we call Good Friday. We, we have... A record of that, that the, one of the most important ones is that um, one of the guards there pierced Jesus' side with his spear and out came blood and water. And he saw that and he testified to it. He told everybody that's what had happened, that Jesus was dead. And yet we come to Jesus' tomb and it's empty. And that's one of the compelling things about the Easter story, isn't it? How... How did a tomb that had been sealed and guarded, in fact the guard had been doubled, how did that come to be empty of the person's body who was in there? For me, the grave clothes 
are perhaps the most tantalizing part of the resurrection story. They're the bit that sort of hangs there and says, whatever else you're thinking, you've got to explain this. We've got to try and get past this kind of this situation with how the grave clothes were found. I mean, they weren't just sort of rags. They were linen cloths, but they would have been soaked and coated in herbs and oils and spices. Some people estimate that they would have been about 40 pounds of, of, of material added to the linen cloths. They would have been heavy, cumbersome, difficult to get out of, if, even if you were still alive and weak. How would he have been able to do that? And in fact, the spices that these cloths were, were coated in were immensely valuable. They were immense, they were nearly a year's wages given to honour the death of Jesus Christ. One has to ask if people were robbing the grave, why did they leave the most valuable thing there? Why would they leave those things there? So we find ourselves, these grave clothes are really quite difficult things to deal with. There are two parts to them, and that's the, that's the bit that throws us, I think. We've got a head cloth, and we've got the linen. Now, the linen would have been valuable and wrapped, and therefore, the whole body would have been, Jesus' body would have been wrapped in it. But they were just where Jesus, they were just found empty where Jesus had lay. They were just there, as if he had passed through them. There was no untangling. There was no, there was no sort of fighting or scissors or anything like that to get involved with. They, just, they were just where he had lay. Something happened in that grave that has no obvious explanation. But his grave clothes remained where he lay. They hadn't been undone. The spices hadn't been scraped off and stolen. They were all there. Later on, in John's Gospel, same person, same writer, same author, same historical evidence, he records that when the disciples were absolutely terrified about people coming after them, Jesus passed through a locked door. There's something about what happened that Jesus, to Jesus' body that transcends, that means goes beyond what we can imagine is possible. Did Jesus' body just rise through those cloths the way it just walked through the door to find those who had put their trust in him? So those cloths, it's as though Jesus has just passed through them. Jesus passed through death. Some of us have been looking at John's gospel. We've been thinking recently, we were thinking about the story of Lazarus. When Lazarus comes out of the grave, Jesus tells his friends to unwrap all of the cloths. He needs help. Jesus just passes through. He's not just an ordinary human being. The second thing is this head cloth. I mean, it's just so compelling, isn't it? We read that it's not lying with the other cloths. In fact, it's been folded up separately. I mean, that's just cheeky, isn't it? 
that's just, that's just pushing it. That's just pushing it. That is just like, that's just like a leaving a calling card saying, I was here, now come and find me. Because who does that? That headcloth would have been wrapped around separately uh, on, on, on Jesus' head. It would have been there for particular reasons. We've got young people here. I'm not going to go into those. Um, but it's an important feature. It was separate. And Jesus left it separate. And not just separate, but folded, tidied up. This isn't just some accidental thing that's happened. Even if robbers had got in, would you waste... In my past, I have arrested robbers. They tend not to be tidy people. They tend to leave a mess, so much so that even when I was a child, my mother used to wonder if we got burgled, maybe the robbers would tidy up on the way out. <laughs> robbers, burglars don't do that. They're in and they're out. They take what they've come for and they disappear. But somebody left these cloths folded. Left them to be found. Left them for people to understand. And it's interesting that we've got this, the burial cloths and the head cloth are arranged or left in such a way that John and Peter, these eyewitnesses, come to these conclusions. What we read in John's Gospel is that John believes. Finally, the other disciple, in verse 8, finally the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, tomb first, that's John, also went inside. He saw and he believed. He understood that whatever had happened was no human agent, was no mere attempt by the Jews, the Romans, the other disciples, or grave robbers to make it look as though Jesus' body had been stolen. He understood that something different, of a different order, by a different agent, had happened. Peter, we read, as he's running back, ponders these things and comes to the conclusion later. Luke tells us that he thought about it and came to the same conclusion. But John had the insight to see whatever happened here was something of God. Something that happened was of God, not of man. And that's really, really encouraging, isn't it? We're not relying on human trickery. We're not relying on a sort of human accounts or other sort of philosophical explanations. We've got an account that we can put together. Arthur Conan Doyle's famous, isn't he, for writing in Sherlock Holmes, when you've eliminated all which is impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. When we look at this, if you look at this story, if you look at what we're presented with, the historical evidence of this, then we have to come to a conclusion that God was involved. And what it means for us, what we've learned from John and Peter, is that Jesus is self-giving, his sacrifice on what we call Gone Good Friday, was accepted by God. Christ stepped into our judgment for us, and God accepted that, and in turn, raised Jesus to life so that we could step into that instead. And the tomb is the place of exchange. The, tomb is the, the cross and the tomb are the places where that happens. God proves that forgiveness has been made. And eternal life is now available to those who are willing to turn to him. 
What does it mean for us today? Well, we've celebrated. We've celebrated one of the most important, the most important day in human history and understanding. It means that God has been involved in human history. He's not just far off. He's actually got involved in the nitty-gritty of it and said, I can do something about this. I can change the outcomes for those people involved. Watch me change Jesus' outcome. Let Let me show you what I can do. And that's great. That's great because we need something like that. We know we are not in control as much as we would like. We make plans, but the last two years have shown us that our plans can go haywire. We know that we are vulnerable, that life is not as certain as we thought it had been for a long time. We know that around the world, things are kicking off and going wrong in ways that we can't manage and control or understand. And very often we feel powerless and hope is in short supply, but that is not the story of the resurrection. The story of the resurrection is that it can all go wrong and Jesus can still do something about it, that God has not given up, that he can transform what looks like a disaster into something that brings hope. We also know that in the middle of all that, we make mistakes, the chaos in us, the sin in us, makes us do things that offend one another, destroy ourselves, offend God. But God has made restitution. He has made a way of finding peace with him through Jesus Christ. I wonder what your life would look like. I wonder what our lives would look like if we took more seriously, more to heart, these things. That death, as we see it, is not the end as God sees it. That one day we will meet him. One day he will return. And if we die before he returns, we will meet him to give an account. And we can live because of that death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can have eternal life for ourselves. It's what God wanted. It's what God hoped for. It's what, it's what Jesus died for. It's what makes it all so helpful and hopeful. It's the life that God intended for us. Life with him, bought by Jesus, guided and filled with the Holy Spirit to be shared together until he returns. We have hope because Jesus, who rose from the grave, has promised to be with us until the end of the age when he will come again to gather us in. Somebody once asked, how should we live then? Martin Luther was the answer. He said, "Um, we should live as if Jesus died yesterday, rose again today, and is coming back tomorrow. That's the way to inhabit, that's the way to live in the light of this news, to have that constant work of God in us. He's dealing with our sin, he's giving us life, and he's giving us hope all the time because that's the life he's promised for us in Jesus Christ. It's the life any of us can have. If you want to know more, I can't share any more. Today is just like so much. But if you want to know a little bit more, just ask and we'll get together and have a chat. We'll have some groups 
this, spring, this summer to talk through some of these things, to ask those deeper questions about why and how. But what's on offer, what's at stake, is eternal life with God. Shall we pray? Let's just be still for a moment. Lord Jesus, there are so many things going on in our lives, things that catch our eye, things that draw our attention, things that lead us one way or another. But Father, we thank you for this moment to focus on the biggest thing ever. Thank you for Luther's wisdom. Thank you for what you've done for us. Pray that you would come to us and make yourself known for your glory and because of your love. Amen.